Mike Greenberg brings his unmatched depth of sports knowledge, fun, and entertainment to ESPN Radio weekdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Time, regularly joined by the biggest names in the game covering all angles of the sports world. So check out Greeny on ESPN Radio or listen to the podcast version of Greeny wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, executive produced by Chineo Gumake, takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the WNBA postponed its season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the league set out to play a condensed season entirely in a bubble, a.k.a. the Wubble, where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. 144 will premiere May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. The film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after its premiere. The ESPNW Summit NYC returns Thursday, May 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern. I will be hosting the virtual event again. It's going to include some great conversations, including UFC double champion Amanda Nunes, the Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl winning leadership and coaching staff Bruce Arians and company, plus many more all-star women in sports. Join us on Thursday by registering. It's free at nyc.espnwsummit.com. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hey, I'm Elena Daladon, and my dilemma is that... For some reason, it's really cold today, so I have my heater on, and it's been interfering with all of my interviews today, but I'm cold, so I had to turn it on. (laughs) Okay, now listen, I don't have a heater messing with my press interviews like you do, Superstar, but I do feel you on the frustration with the weather, because this is what we call here in Chicago, third winter. It's pretty much... All of April and May spent waiting for the random 70 or 80 degree magic that arrives and then suffering through stretches of 45 degrees and gray. Uh, And that goes till basically Memorial Day weekend. Spring finally arrives for roughly one week before it's summer. (laughs) This is especially annoying this year uh, because it's COVID and I want to be outside walking, eating, dancing, doing literally anything outside of my house. And the wonderful, beautiful, warm days are so much better and they make my mood so much better. But we are very, 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 very close. A couple weeks away from the magic of Chicago summer. So I don't really have a solution for your dilemma. You made it through your your long day of press interviews despite the heater. But I guess maybe buy a quieter heater. That's what she said. My first guest today, Elena Deladon, uh, is, is coming up. But stick around after that interview because there's a quick season preview of my Chicago Red Stars featuring head coach Rory Dames. You'll get a good primer whether you're already a fan or whether you're jumping into the NWSL this season. Hopefully supporting the Red Stars, which I've mentioned before on the podcast. I've recently become a part owner of the team. Uh, adding you know, my name to a handful of really cool, exciting people that are taking on ownership uh, within the league. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, one of the latest, uh, becoming a part owner of the Washington Spirit. So lots of buzz around the league. Now's the time to get on board. So stick around after the Elena interview for a speedy season preview of the Red Stars. But Elena, 
Olympic gold medalist, WNBA champion, two-time league MVP, six-time All-Star, first-ever WNBA player in the 50-40-90 club. That's 50% field goal percentage, 40% from three, 90% free throw percentage over the course of a whole regular season. She's one of the greatest ever, uh, and she is now back on this podcast But like you've never heard her before, she was more open and honest and funny and thoughtful. And I think she's certainly at a bit of a crossroads in her life, in her career, married, a little bit older now. She opted out of last season in the bubble and had to battle the WNBA for pay after their doctors ruled that Lyme disease wasn't a a pre-existing condition that could be worsened by COVID exposure. So she goes through that, now recovering from back surgery and more. She's got a lot going on, uh, and she's part of PNG's new films for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Uh, one of the films she's in the "Good Your Goodness Is Your Greatness" uh, film, narrated by the perspective of proud parents and showcasing the power of Olympic athletes beyond the court or the track. It's really moving. PNG always nails these and gets you crying during the games. Uh, but she's one of several stars in the project and is now ramping up for the Olympics and the WNBA season that starts this week. So we talked about all of that, recovering from surgery. Um, how the delay in the Olympics affected her training, how international play really takes some getting used to her expectations for the mystics, how she's learning uh, to sort of deal with the hiccups and and the challenges as she gets older. I really think you're going to, you're going to like this conversation and hear her a little bit differently. Enjoy it. So excited to have Elena Deladon back on the podcast. She always comes for short little spurts. We never get her for the full hour because she's so busy. And now, of course, she's busy promoting yet another involvement that she has leading up to the Olympics. We're going to get to your goodness is your greatness, which I've gotten a sneak peek at. And the tears were close. Uh, I'll say that the tears were close, but I kept them in this time. Um, my guess is there will be a lot of folks crying when they see those ads. And there's so much good vibes heading into the Olympics, but also a lot of questions because of the delayed schedule. So I kind of want to reset where we are. It's been a while since we've seen you play. You opted out of the WNBA season in the Wubble last year, and then we find out that you're recovering from surgery. So first, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. Um, thanks for checking. It's been quite a year, a year of pivots, I'd like to call it, where basketball wasn't happening with COVID and everything kind of had to figure out a different route. And, you know, through it, I have created my woodworking business and kind of pivoted into that avenue, had to have a couple back surgeries, which I'm doing really well. I'm able to rehab now uh, with, you know, the understanding of COVID. Uh, After my first surgery, I just COVID happened and everything was shut down and I was unable to really rehab properly with a physical therapist. And now I'm back with a great team of people that are helping me uh, to change my movement patterns and just to have so much more awareness of my body. So I feel like I'm on a great path. As someone who has multiple bulging discs and has gone through so much back stuff. It's the worst PT ever. It's just slow and monotonous and unfortunately very necessary. Um, it is, it yeah. is. Um, all the, the breathing exercises and the deep core tightening. It's like, oh man, like I feel <laughs> at times like an old lady, but I know it's all very important. Um, and I try to lock in as best as I can. You've had stretches before in your career where you weren't able to play because of Lyme disease. So you're not um, new to having to sit out and watch. But last season was, I'm guessing, the longest stretch for you. Were there moments when you were, you know, talking to your teammates in the wobble or watching from afar and, you know, trying to talk to yourself about what it meant to be out of the game and, and when you might come back? 
Yeah, it, it was such a weird um, time. Like, yes, I've had moments where I'm out for Lyme disease or even an injury, but I know I'm still working to get back in that season where last year it was like, I knew I wasn't going to play that season. So how on earth can I still impact my team and try to be a leader, but not too much because they're there and they need to lead themselves. So it was, it was a time of just trying to figure out what each person needed. Uh, at times I was just kind of a person they could just bounce frustrations or ideas off of. And times we didn't even speak basketball at all. It was just like trying to be a good friend uh, to my teammates. So it was a year of a lot of growth in those relationships uh, that I never could have imagined. Um, but I think it's only kind of built our team and made us stronger. We have a brand new team this year. It's like wild to think that the 2019 championship team that I was on, like we only have five returners, including myself. So it's going to be a whole new project and a whole new thing to put together and see, see how well we can get these pieces to fall into place. There was a lot of empathy for you because there was sort of confusion around the opt-out situation and who would be given pay regardless of not being able to play and which things qualified. There were so many questions about COVID and effects for pre-existing conditions that I think it felt like most people understood in addition to the injury that you were rehabbing your reticence to go into the wobble, but did you have any negative responses or have you now that you've been out long enough, have you got all the people on your back about like, when are we going to see you again? Like you're an MVP. We need you back. Cause like, you know me, I'm always dogging you for leaving Chicago. So I can only imagine now that you're on the mystics, but you can't play that. They're like, we want you back. Yeah. Um, you know, most people were super supportive. I have found in my battle with Lyme disease that there's, a lot of unknown and confusion that people hold against this disease, especially when patients are trying to say like, I'm still sick. Um, it's chronic, like something is still going on. And um, that's why with COVID, I was so concerned. And I, I've, I've been dealing with the unknowns of Lyme disease and not having the correct information and tests and studies. So um, that's why I decided to pump the brakes because I've dealt with dealing with an illness for a really long time and just being so unsure. So um, I think people are now super excited about this season, obviously with the back, they're like, oh my goodness, are you going to be all right? And I'm like, I'm here, I'm ready. I can't wait to get back uh, to some normalcy. Um, I've missed it a lot, but I also think it was a great year for me uh, and just doing other things and growing in other ways. Yeah, I have seen a lot of woodworking being done. I've seen a lot of IG videos and reels, um, lots of uh, impersonating your dog who doesn't use a lot of consonants. Um, tell me about that stretch because, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, we spent some time together right after you were drafted. And in so many ways, you feel like such a different person now in, in coming into your own beyond just what did you want people to hear or think of you and just being yourself. Um, and that definitely comes through on your social media and in your interviews. Um, but to have almost a year of like, just hanging out with your wife and making backboards and you know, like, like, yeah, right? that's like, a lot of time to think about like, who am I when I'm not playing is. basketball? <laughs> it is a ton of time. And thank goodness. I love my wife and we're best friends and, and your roommate. I need, wait, I need an explanation too about Kathy. Kathy. Yeah. Like who, like Kathy <laughs> just like stepped onto the scene and I was like, like, is she, has she been hired for comic relief? Like what's happening? Here? <laughs> <laughs> she was her, yeah. She's been hired for 
COVID comic relief. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> she's one of our best friends now. I actually met her through Natasha Cloud, uh, one of my oh, nice. closest teammates. Those two are best friends. They've grown up together um, for a while now. So we met through Tosh. And then she lives only a few blocks away from us. So it's basically like she, oh, she doesn't live in your house. She does not live oh. in our house. I know. I think people <laughs> like, will be shocked to hear that. Yes, breaking news. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. Kathy does not live in our house. <laughs> but um, yeah, she plays a huge role in our YouTube series uh, beyond the game. I don't know if you've checked it out yet, but yeah. we decided to start filming a lot of not just my back surgery and the rehab process, but kind of just like life in quarantine for a year on end. And um, it's just been fun to like be open with who I am, be the goofball that uh, not not everybody sees. And um, even for people to like see Amanda, I feel like people don't really know what Amanda's like. And it's exciting to share her dry humor uh, with the world too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I love it. And um, I love, I love you looking like, um, the chick from flash dance with, in, with like the, the, the welding and the, you know, I know it's not exactly the same, but it looks very serious <laughs> pretty, pretty similar and serious dangerous. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So not only do you have to figure out your health and all the concerns with the wobble, but the Olympics gets postponed. And luckily for you, you're absolutely at an age where this doesn't affect your availability. Like my biggest concern then was for either athletes on the tail end of their careers or like the kind of tapering and focus that comes into certain sports so that you are at the exact peak at the exact time, which stresses me out enough. Cause one of my best friends went to the Olympics twice and she was hurt both times. So she never really got to go like a hundred percent. Um, so it's about timing so much. What has been the biggest difficulty in just readjusting your mindset for 2021 instead of 2020? So for me, it was almost like a blessing that the games got pushed back because my back certainly was not ready last summer. Um, so I wouldn't have been ready to go. And yeah, like you said, there's other sports where like, I just feel awful for people who were at the tail end of their career or they were like at the best shape of their life. And then it gets bumped a year. And it's like, how do you put all of that effort and everything you need for everything to align, like to come in place at the right time? That's so hard. Uh, gratefully, I am on a team and like the pressures of that isn't as bad. Um, so I am super excited that, you know, I get to try again uh, because last summer, I don't think it would have happened. It definitely wouldn't have happened. We'll get right back to the interview, but first, I'd like a word. What is your favorite word? Um, favorite word. Right now, it's two words, and it's dry needling. <laughs> it's, Perfect. It's getting me through life right now. <laughs> dry needling. Okay, no matter how many episodes I do, there will never be, I guarantee it, there will never be another guest with that answer. Um dry needling, sometimes uh, referred to as intramuscular stimulation. It's using needles for therapy of muscle pain. Per the internet, which never lies, uh, the origin of the term itself is attributed to Janet G. Travell in her 1983 book, Myofascial Pain and Dysfunction, Trigger Point Manual. Sounds like a real page turner. Uh, dry needling also sounds like torture, but I've actually done it before, and you don't even really feel the little needles. Um and honestly, at this point, I will take any and all PT techniques 
that make my shitty old body function. Uh, and as someone who's been dealing with back issues forever, I fully understand why the first word that came to mind for Elena was a rehab term. Uh, so heal fast. Speaking of great words. You gonna learn today. The word of the week is... The word of the week is crapulence. It does not mean what you think it means, I promise. Even though people sometimes use it for what it sounds like, crapulence, there are actually uh, a couple definitions, but all agree that crapulence definitely means suffering from excessive drinking from the uh, 1650s, originally Latin crapulentus, very drunk, which originated from crapula, excessive drinking, which is not, in fact, a Dracula who is always shitting which is what I imagine when I hear crapula. Um, there's also some definitions that include sickness from an excess of eating or gluttony of any kind. But everybody agrees crapulence, at least one definition, always involves excessive drinking. And it's fun to say crapulence. In a sentence, while Sarah is looking forward to nicer weather and the opportunity to party with friends, a.k.a. Vaxxed Girl Summer, she's concerned about the inevitable crapulence that will result from an ill-advised dive back into social life without a proper ramping up period. That is, of course, all true. That's what she said. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now let's get back to the interview. You probably haven't gotten too many very specific details about COVID. I'm guessing that they're still figuring all of that out and what expectations will be in the athlete village on the way there, all that other stuff. So more so for you in terms of your schedule, what are you able to do now? Are you able to get into practice with either the mystics or the Olympic team? So right now we are able to get into our building, um, our practice facility. They're not allowing us to, work out together yet. Um, that will begin on Sunday when everybody has been tested properly. Um, but right now we're able to do individual workouts. I'm able to, I go in twice a day. Um, I do my therapy and all that in the morning. And then I do my strength and more court work in the afternoon. So, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit more normal when we're all able to like come into a huddle together. It's going to be like, Oh, yeah. do we like, touch? do we breathe? <laughs> what do we do? Like, we don't know what to do with our masks in the locker room. So f- right now we're wearing them. Um, so I think we'll get into more of a routine. Um, a lot of us are vaccinated. So that's also gives us, you know, some comfort. Um, I was but- going to ask about that. The Lyme disease, then there were no complications or questions about getting vaxxed. You were just all in. So there were for me, um, big questions because I have, had issues in the past with flu shots and that the shot sending me into a really bad relapse. Um, so I was super concerned. I asked doctors across the country, Lyme specialists, like, can I handle this? And actually I wasn't able to get the Johnson and Johnson because that could have sent me into a relapse where, um, the way that Pfizer and Moderna work is the R- MRNA. Uh, it's a bunch of science that goes into it, but 
basically that one wouldn't send me into a relapse and I am now fully vaccinated Yay. And doing really well. So thank you science. Fingers crossed. Thank exactly. you science and smart people and people who took classes that would have scared me away within the first like five <laughs> minutes. Um, much yeah. appreciated. So how do you approach if you do international play any differently from WNBA? It's definitely different play. Even the repping is completely different where my footwork, you know, in transition, if I get the ball and I just like rip and go like in the W and in my whole life of playing basketball, that's not a travel, but overseas play, it's like a travel. You have to like stop and then go. (laughs) And I, I didn't, I haven't played overseas only with team USA. So like a couple of the players would like be laughing and they're like, yeah, welcome to (laughs) this world of basketball. Um, or like physicality that you can play with, like you have to know when you can put your hands on someone or not. Like I was in foul trouble probably for the first time in my life in the Olympics, (laughs) like the first pool play games. I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like I am in so much foul trouble. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it's, so, I mean, it's yeah. hard. So, so much of the point of practice is that you don't think about it anymore. And so to have yeah. to instead start thinking in the middle of games all the time about that stuff is, um, different. Yeah. So yeah. timeline for you with the WNBA starting before the break for the Olympics, you know, are you expecting to be able to be a hundred percent and get through both season or I guess a season and a competition or are that, we still, you know, <laughs> you know, that's always the hope at right now though. I'm literally going day by day because I am so learning new movements, even new ways of walking right now. Um, I've always been a heel walker where I reach ahead with my heel and pull myself forward instead huh. of being a toe pusher, oh, which interesting. the heel stuff is very jarring on a back. Yeah. <laughs> and I've learned that. So it's been super exciting to work with people who are changing my movements and I'm able to like correct my pain and not just like lay on a table, have them massage me, feel good, but I go home and feel awful. So that's kind of been the difference this go around in rehab. And I'm excited about all I've learned and how much stronger I can be once I start connecting with the floor and my feet much better. I think anybody who hasn't been through it is like, what a weird thing to say. And then anyone who's been to like 11 teen doctors and finally gets the one that's like, hey, your glutes don't fire. And you're like, what? Why? Or like, Why? Hey, your kinetic chain is totally f- why what's wrong with it and then they have answers for you and then they yeah. give you an exercise and then things feel better and you're like whoa that's like, oh, it wow this is this yeah. would have been nice to have yeah six doctors ago. <laughs> yeah agreed I'm with yeah, you for I'm sure with you. Um, let's talk about the mental aspect of it. Like you're someone who you're very steady, you know, of all the times I've interviewed you, you know, sometimes you're maybe you have more energy or sometimes you're more in a funny mood or sometimes you're more shy, but like, you're always very steady. And I wonder, because you've been through a lot, whether that stuff with your family, whether it was the decision to end up, you know, not staying at UConn to Lyme disease, to back surgery, to COVID, to coming out to all of that stuff. Um, very steady. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> do you, well, it's a positive, but I also wonder, is it, is it, um, I'm not, I don't want to say not genuine, but is it a natural ability to just handle things and move through them and keep going? Or do you think that there are moments where you just have so much going on that you don't stop to say like, how am I dealing with all of this and how am I processing all of this? 
So yeah, not to have a whole therapy session with you right now, but I think it actually comes from growing up and being a younger sibling of a sibling who had, of an older sibling who had special needs. So it was kind of like my whole life. I, I wanted to be steady and not cause any more drama right. or issues for my parents who were already dealing with surgeries and so many complications with Lizzie. So it was like, you got to be steady. And then as I've gotten older, I realized, okay, you can't always be steady because there's, <laughs> I'm a human, there's anxiety, there's so much going on. Um, and thankfully I've got my people I can just dump on one yeah. being my wife, <laughs> um, and another being my sports psychologist who I just dump stuff on him and we talk, I cry. We, I mean, we just go through ways of like handling life and pain and the unknown. So I think that's where I've improved where before I was like steady, but I would drop bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Come out of nowhere with these like yeah. massive bombs that ended up being more stressful than if I wasn't just <laughs> being steady the whole time. So now I feel like I've got um, kind of my way to handle it and be able to get through things. That makes so much sense. It really does. It makes so much sense to just I, I can be the strong one and the steady one. And also to feel, you know, there's this great uh, woman named Amy Liss, and I met her through Julie Foudy, and uh, she talks about having an attitude of gratitude. And she's had, you know, endless health issues and struggles throughout her life. And she shows up with a huge smile and always tries to spin everything positive. And I do think when you have Lizzie and you're, you're learning along with her and seeing the world along with her, it makes you much probably more able to, to deal with the things that come your way. Um, because you're grateful just to play basketball and move and talk and all the other stuff. Um, Lizzie is in the, your goodness is your greatness video with you. She's, she's made a lot of TV appearances with you. She's really pretty awesome. I I hope she's getting the residuals too. Um, but tell me about that because, um, First of all, PNG is always trying to get us to cry with these things and they work every time, um, always with the moms and dads and the kids. And I love in this one, the idea of you've been doing things your whole life that I never could imagine doing. And now that I'm an old ass lady, I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking when I used to do like back handsprings and like all the sports like javel triple jump. If I tried to triple jump right now, I think one of my legs would fall off. Like it just at the hip, it would detach. Cause I'm like, I'm just washed as hell now. I, like I don't have even a connection to sports. Like you still do cause you're still playing. Um, but I, I watched the video and you do think like the parents of gymnasts or figure skaters, like just, so tell me about being a part of that. Yeah. It's, I am so excited to be a part of this campaign with PNG because First of all, like you said, PNG is able to take like the power of the Olympics, the power of sport and make it so inspiring for someone watching to be like, hey, I can maybe I can't do that triple backspring, whatever you'll lose yeah. your leg, but I can be <laughs> I can be kind today. I can make someone smile today. I can make this world a better place. And it doesn't have to be a massive act of kindness. Like it could be something small and just being yourself and making somebody else happy or feel good about themselves. So I am very excited to be a part of this. I've always loved all the PNG commercials because they're just so touching. And to know that, you know, I, I'm a part of this, but more than anything, Lizzie is a part Mm -hmm. of this. Like my whole life, she has taught me so much. And I feel like anyone she has 
been around. She's touched them um, by her goodness and by her, her compassion and her love and her acceptance of everybody. Um, so she, she's the real one that deserves to be in this and I'm just kind of in it with her. <laughs> yeah. You guys have done some pretty remarkable stuff together, whether that's more accessible shoes, the video with Gatorade um, about the wind was another, you know, beautiful one. And we always talk about representation and if you can see it, you can be it. And also just acceptance of people that are different and seeing and getting to know them and how that in- engages empathy in ways that, you know, something just being othered by, by fear or, or anything else can, can bring about such different emotions. So, um, it's so awesome that you guys get to continue working together to do that for people. And it's such a good fit for the Olympics because on a, on a super meaningful scale of seeing people from every country in the world come together and do something to the very tiniest of things. Like I like curling, right? Like the Olympics always kind of like introduces right? to us. And then we're like, I suddenly care a lot about whether this bobsledder is going to do well. You know? Right? You never would think, but then it's just like, I am so invested. I'm very in invested right now. now. Um, yeah. I, I actually always use the Olympics. I use the Olympics and the little league world series as examples. Whenever I talk about women's sports and visibility, because it's, it's not that people aren't interested. It's that you're not telling them the stories. You're not giving them the stakes. You're not introducing them to the people so that they can have an opportunity to care and then get invested the same way that they care about the Cubs, because since they were five, someone told them to, you need to give them the tools. And I mean, when I say, when I say little league world series, when they're like, well, I want to watch the highest level. Okay. But you also watch 12 year olds. So, you know, like, so that argument doesn't work anymore. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. What's your reaction to like what feels like another groundswell, another pivot point, whether that's ownership in NWSL teams, whether that's, you know, the response to Draymond and the conversations that arised from that? Um, what do you make of what feels like another good moment to build off of for women's sports? Yeah, I feel like we are in a huge moment right now. Um, first of all, because the business is starting to come together and the resources are now there um, that weren't there before. And even other companies are now starting to buy in. Um, But not only that, with social media, you can see it in March Madness. These young women have built their brands, marketed (laughs) themselves, and it is not up to anybody else but themselves to be out there and known and have such a big personality. And I, I do, I'm a little biased. I think women are better on social media. Uh, they're super fun to follow along and watch. And I think we saw like a whole excitement over March Madness because we're starting to know these young women from high school. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really fun to follow them along. And like you said, all you need to know is the story. All you want to know is the rivalry between these two players Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that you catch on to, but then it makes you love the sport and watch the other games as well. And I think we're in a time where this is all kind of coming together and it's exciting because I feel like I've been a part of it from like the beginning of my rookie year where it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel like the steam was there and nothing was really happening to now where we've got a lot of momentum. Pretty sure you're best friends with Joe Biden, who's now the president 
Um, right? Are we are we like using this connection in meaningful ways? Or are we just like you know? calling the White House and being like, can we get an executive order on a massive investment in women's sports? <laughs> or or at least I'm like, can I bring my dogs to run around your yard? Like, right. I mean, very don't nice. don't think I haven't already been like when Elena gets invited, I should probably go because I, I know Elena. So she'll invite me and then we'll all be See? at the White House. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm going to keep that in mind. For yeah. When we go right now, I'm kind of letting him get his feet wet. Mm, yeah. Know, he's got a lot going he's on. He's a rookie president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when things calm down, that's when we'll go hang out, have some dinner and yeah, do our thing. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to hang out with the dogs first because uh, that's too. how I roll. You and I will be hanging out with the dogs. That's how eventually. like we get comfortable. Exactly. And then then, then we'll the humans. Back. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um. Well, I'm just I've had so much fun watching you come into your own. I know that sounds like such an old lady thing to say. I'm not that much older than you, but, no, but I, you've been I was there. along yeah. the journey. Like yeah. you were literally there with me in Chicago eating deep dish with yep. me for the first time. So, yeah. Like, trying to set you up with along. dudes, you know, yeah, it was great. Yeah, trying to get me all the boyfriends. And I'm like, ah, he's cute. <laughs> like Chicago's full of tall men. You're in luck. You're like, okay. You're going to do so well here. And I'm like, crush okay. it. <laughs> Um, well, um, thanks for coming back on. I'm so excited. C- c- good luck with the PT and the foam rolling and the stim and the jabs with the metal prods and all the stuff. Know, Learning you know how to walk. Well. I know it all too well. Um, I'm looking forward to the Olympics and um, I'm looking forward to the Chicago sky destroying the mystics. Um, all of it. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me on. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for me to rant or rave or tell you what to read or watch. And, of course, what's on my mind this week is the Red Stars regular season starting. They kick things off Sunday night in Portland against the Thorns. So I wanted to give you a little Red Stars 101. Hoping you can watch a bunch of games, maybe even come take a road trip, come out to a game in Chicago and hang out with me, have a little fun at the tailgate, watch a game in person at SeatGeek Stadium. But... You can definitely watch all the games if not. They are either on Twitch, Paramount Plus, or CBS Sports. You can check the Red Star site and the NWSL site for all the team schedules and figure out where to watch. But in the meantime, uh, with young leagues like this, it's so important for people to understand the stories and the stakes and the stats so they can jump on board. And longtime Red Stars coach Rory Dames joined me for a quick primer on the team's history and what he saw from his team in the preseason, what he expects on the year. He popped on with me post Baby Rabbit Rescue. So check out this very short primer. Get yourself ready for the season. Super excited to get an exclusive season preview with the man who knows more about the Red Stars than anybody else. And apparently also about baby bunnies. We're coming off a small rabbit situation involving a window well and a bunch of baby bunnies, but all seems to be well in the world. So we have not only the head coach of the Chicago Red Stars, but apparently an amateur um, Yes, not a veterinarian, but zoologist. We'll go as zoologist uh, on the baby bunny front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. it was just a full panic. It was a full family panic. Was probably the fairest <laughs> way to say it. So, I I remember being a kid, and and every baby bird needed to be saved, and every dying animal needed to be saved, and then if it wasn't, it needed a full funeral. So I'm glad the baby bunnies survived, and now hopefully uh, will disappear off into the wild where you will not have to deal with anything good or bad, the results from this. Um, let's start with your bona fides and why you are uh, here to talk about the Red Stars, both present and past. Uh, how long have you been at, at the helm for the team? 
I think this is year 11. Um, yeah, year 11. I don't know where, I don't know where 11 years have gone, but it's certainly year <laughs> 11. So. Um, so you, of course, can speak as well as anyone to how much the league feels and looks different from when you started, whether that's playing at SeatGeek versus smaller fields to attention. Um, did you think when you got into the league and first started with the team, there would be a faster rise toward um, sort of being seen and viewed alongside other professional women's leagues? Or did you not have much of an expectation when it all started? I think it was pretty universal throughout the coaches in the league um, to have tempered expectations. You know, if you, depending on where you were playing and the venue you were playing in, there, there were some places you played um, like a Portland and you were blown away of, mm. wow, this is what it should look like. And then you could come to Benedictine and play on our track, you know, on the, the football turf. So I think the, especially in the first three or four years, it was just every year at the end of the season was, is this, is it going to be back? Is it going to happen again? Um, yeah. And you had that, you had a bit of a continuity with the Australian league. So players could in essence play at least nine months out of the year between the two, although it was a, a lot of travel and wear and tear on them. But it was certainly at the end of every season, is this going to happen again? Well, how's <laughs> it look? What's going on? So I think probably year probably after year five is when it started to, to get real, like, Hey, this could really grow. This could really take off. Uh, when they won the first world cup and came back the, the boost and I'm not going to say attendance, but just interest, mm -hmm. the familiarity with the players from the success they had. Uh, and then when they won the second one, you know, the, the, I think they call it like the league bump, but whatever it is, yeah. they it as, you know, league wide, regardless of what city you were in it, it took off. So, um, I think that was probably when everybody's like, okay, this is here to stay. You know, what's next? How does it grow? How does it evolve? How does it crack in the mainstream more so than it already is? Yeah, the World Cup and Olympic bumps are are massive. And the popularity of the team is undeniable, the U.S. Women's National Team. So now to get people to realize that those same players are in their cities playing in the NWSL is, is the leap, right? That they can go watch them when it's not those international competitions um, and get to know the players that aren't the ones um, playing on, on massive television games for, for the national team as well. Um, where would you say the Red Stars have fit into the NWSL in the past? Well, I think in the beginning, we were kind of the, you know, the, <laughs> the little engine that could, um, especially as we moved through and other owners started coming in other teams and the Whistler family was still the primary owner. And as standards went up for the league, which was a good thing and expectations went up for the league, I think it became harder and harder to, to have an independent owner. So I, I feel like we were always the group that did the most with the least. Um, and we embraced it. You know, it wasn't like we were, we were sour about it. It was what it was. And we could either feel sorry for ourselves and look at some of the other teams and what they had and wish we had, or we could get on with what we had. And that's what we did. So I would certainly say from a resource standpoint, um, prior to this year and all the new owners mm -hmm. coming in, we certainly maximized everything we could from a performance standpoint to how the players were treated, to how we traveled, to how we trained. Uh, but it's, it's, definitely evolved for the better for everybody, for the coaches, for the players, um, for the fans, for the owners. So I think in the early days, we were just about figuring out a way to exist and be the best that we could with what we had. And then I certainly think we've every year we've added a major piece that's closed gaps on the rest of the league. And Arnhem has been pretty consistent with that. Um, and I don't think we're far off at this point anymore. 
right? Despite sort of being the little engine that could, you still had some incredible names that you acquired and and managed to grab Kristen Press and, you know, Megan Rapinoe and Sam Kerr and um, Yuki, all these players that that um, have come through. And now, of course, you've still got Alyssa Nair and Julie Ertz and Mal Pugh and all these players. Um, hopefully the the rest of it is catching up to the to the to the coaching and the play and everything else on the ownership side in terms of resources. You guys have gotten very close, uh, but have yet to win it all. What's been the biggest barrier to, to winning it all? If I knew the answer to that, I would, <laughs> would implement it immediately. I would say that the, the competition in the league, you know, from every week is a game. There, there's nothing easy in this league. And I think even watching some of the other leagues as they finished up yesterday and you see some of the scores, you can certainly catch a team on an off night here and maybe put a few on them. Um, but it's rare, you know, regardless of who you're playing or where you're playing, everything is a competition. Uh, the, the coaching has grown a ton as far as tactically and how you play. So I think the what we learned from the first time when we got to Carolina finally was you only know what you know. And there was certainly a lot that we didn't know um, about the other team or about yourselves or about the process of the week, you know, about of the championship the, game, yeah, yeah. what you need to have done before you get to wherever the final is, as opposed to what you can get done when you're there. Um, the expectations, the media expectations, the appearance expectations, um, so, I mean, and Paul and Carolina had obviously been there a few times and it was in their backyard. Uh, but yeah, we learned a lot, you know, and from a soccer standpoint, I mean, maybe don't have fireworks before the games. That would be a good <laughs> thing for us. But yeah, I think that we, there was just, it was a uh, credit to the league, but it was an outing. It was like a festival. It was a very, you know, celebrated the league and the championship. And it, you, you sometimes get caught up in it as forgetting that you're actually one of the attractions of it. Um, So I think that whole week we would do differently for sure. And I also think, you know, going into that, the end healthy, we've, we've limped into the playoffs a lot for whatever reasons. Um, And if you look at how we had played Carolina in the three times during that year, it was certainly different lineups and different tactics that we used during the season. Um, But with Aaron becoming pregnant, Michelle Taren or ACL, we just didn't have some of the the more dynamic players available to us. Um, But the group, you know, the, you live in it, you learn it, and then you you thrive to get back to it. I think last year with the Challenge Cup, you know, I, I certainly won't rehash the the bubble, but I think at that point we certainly wanted to win the game. But it, it was a win win because regardless of what happened, we were going home, and the the time there right. certainly took a toll on our team in multiple ways. Um, and I think everybody was just ready for it to be done. So, and, mm. and that doesn't mean that we didn't. We certainly tried to win the game and weren't happy we didn't and had. Tierna and Morgan and Casey and Yuki all again out hurt. So I think the two biggest takeaways would for me would be you got to do everything you can to make sure you have your best players available for the biggest games. Um, and then you got to make sure that those, those games and those moments aren't too big for your players. And I certainly yeah. think with the players that we have on our team, an NWSL championship game is in a world cup final or an Olympic final. And we have players that have been in those. Um, but when we, when we get back into it and we're there again, we'll be much better prepared. For those who, who uh, didn't get the reference, uh, why why no fireworks before the game? <laughs> uh, one went off right by Alyssa's ear. The smoke triggered Casey's asthma. So Casey actually ran around in an asthma attack for the first 10 minutes. So 
same thing. Uh, I don't know that we knew they were coming, so I think it rattled some of <laughs> low, our group. Low warning, yeah. especially for the for the asthmatic players, something maybe that should be communicated. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even know Casey had asthma prior to that, and I've known Casey since she was 12, so bad time to learn. Usually not an issue, like right. Yeah, bad time for it to become an issue. Um, so let's talk about this year's team. What are the biggest strengths as you look for the regular season to get started? Well, I would say the continuity of the core players that we've had in the culture, you know, that those are the guys that drive that. Um, they're the ones that have been here going back to the, the Shannon Box, Leslie Osborne, Chup Stays, who kind of established the culture. So Julie, Vanessa, Danny, Gilly, the ones that have been here for a long time, uh, they help drive that. And then I would say the the strength of our group is obviously in our defensive ability, not just as a back group, but collectively as a group. Um, we didn't give away a lot of chances in the challenge cup, but it seemed like when we did give one away, we got punished for it. Uh, but I think that will come with time of just cleaning up little details, uh, where we need to continue to add layers, which I don't think is a, a surprise to anybody is in our attack. And I think people assume that that's just the forwards, but the attack is a team, right? You, you attack as a group. How do you get your outside backs forwards? When do they go? What do you want your midfielders to do? So it's not just the front players. Uh, and we've been very transparent since, since Stamp left that we would have to evolve a bit as a group and evolve how we attack. And we didn't get a ton of time to do that last year. Um, just we, between the, the season COVID uh, there wasn't a lot of time to necessarily train out there because of how quick the games came and trying to recover. And then this year we obviously had at Mal, which is a, a huge get for us, uh, but she's been hurt. And then Hilly got hurt. So we've probably had two weeks of training with all of the, the players available uh, and I think they, the group's definitely gotten better from game to game to game. And I do think the reason I go into all of that is because I do think the attack will become a strength of the team before the year's over. It's certainly going to be a process, but the familiarity with one another, the movements off of the ball, the understanding of where people want the ball in certain situations, it gets better every week. And some of the stuff they do in training is breathtaking. I mean, some of the little combinations and movements they have. So when we can get a consistent four or five weeks together with the same group of players playing together um i think we're going to score a lot of goals yeah you lost sam kerr who's the all-time leading scorer in the league and yuki nagasato who is one of the top assist uh providers in all of the league so you're going to have to find new spaces and places and techniques to get the the scoring and the opportunities that you had um if if someone is watching and they're newer to the team or the league um is it Okay, Leah Watt, is it Kayla Sharples? Where are we, where are you anticipating that when there is that breakthrough on offense, um, these couple players will be the ones that people should keep an eye on? Good question. Well, I think when you have a player like Sam and a player like Kristen before Sam, you know, you how you tactically go about trying to get them in the good spaces is different than when you don't. And mm -hmm. Kaylee and Mel come more out of wide spaces than central spaces. Doesn't mean they can't come out of central spaces, but with Katie and Mackenzie, we have more traditional back-to-goal hole-up play nines. And then we have, you know, we're dynamic in the wide spaces. When Sam was here, we were dynamic in the nine. And I wouldn't say Yuki and Sav were overly dynamic. They were really good footballers. So I think finding that balance of how you sort it out, where you could go into a season feeling pretty confident that Sam was going to get this many goals. Um, I don't think we go into this season thinking one player is going to notch this or this but I think we have six or seven players that can certainly get anywhere from six to 10. Um, and if you look at 40 goals in a season is a lot. And if we think we have six to 10 players that could, could pull six to 10 in between them, 
you know, that, that number that you try to hit at the end of the year to make sure you're where you want to be. I think we have a lot of different avenues to get to it. And that would be the other biggest difference of the team is, you know, a lot of people that we played would either try to take Yuki out of the game because they believe that's how Sam got supplied mm-hmm. or they would just try to not let Sam get behind. But if you eliminate one of those two, your, your odds of beating us probably went up significantly. I think we have a lot more people that can do a lot of different things. I think our midfield players, now that we're being a little bit more methodical in the buildup, have the opportunity to get higher up the field. You know, when you release Sam or Kristen in, it's great and they're going to get 1v1 and create chances. But if you're a midfielder, it's really hard to catch them because they were so dynamic. So if you're a little bit more methodical in the build, you play a little bit higher up the field, you can get more people around the box and you become less transitional and more team-oriented. So I think Morgan, Vanessa, Danny, Julie all have the ability to score goals out of the midfield. Uh, We just never got them close enough to the goal because their job was to make last passes and break lines, not necessarily to get into the box before. And that's stuff that you have to work on strategically, which requires time together, which was tough uh, early on because the international players were off playing Olympic friendlies and prepping. So what did you see from the Challenge Cup that needs to change when the regular season gets going? That'd be a longer, <laughs> that'd be a longer conversation, I think. But <laughs> what I would say is I think um, in the defending aspects, the out of possession, our, our ceiling shape, our ability to keep teams locked in, you know, we've always been a team that played in the middle third and looked to set traps and kind of turn you over and then transition. Um, we're certainly ahead of where we thought we would be with how quickly they've changed that concept because it's not just the principle, but it's an entirely different mentality of drop in and get organized or go on the front foot and try to get it back. And I think the group's ability to, to make that transition and, and play more on the front foot has been great. Uh, our quality of our services you know, I think we probably had almost 25, 30 more services than anybody else, but there's a difference between picking somebody out in the box and, and just kicking a ball into the box. Mm-hmm. And that also translates to, there's also something to be said for the people just running in the box or covering specific areas in the box based off where the service is coming from is their pressure. So those are all the kind of things that we've been layering in, in the final third. But if you look at how much we've been in the final third, um, our expected goals, how many chances we've created, how many crosses, how many corner kicks. Uh, Mathematically, it's got to turn into our favor at some point. You know, we gave up six shots on goal, five went in. (laughs) I think we had 27 on goal and maybe three went in. Um, We were second in corners. So the the pieces are are coming together, credit to the players and the staff, faster than I would have thought. Now we're into the, the small details, the quality of the service, the intelligence of the runs which in our initial plan, I didn't think that we'd probably get into until June. So um, the group's committed. They're working hard. The staff's working hard. um, And I think sooner rather than later, we'll start to see some rewards for it. Yeah, the eye test and the chances certainly bear out in your favor. The actual box score hasn't yet because of the, uh, like you said, however many chances you've given up versus gone in. Um, Awesome stuff. I'm looking forward to this season. Uh, Real quick, last one. Portland to start in Portland. That's a wake up for some of the young players, right? Uh, I don't know about COVID wise, but, you know, 15,000 or so in Portland for those games. Um, are, are you excited to start off somewhere like that? That's a hostile place that they're going to get a qu- swift kick in the butt about what this is all about? Or would you rather ease your way in? No, I mean, Portland's uh, Portland just won the Challenge Cup. Portland's a team that everybody's picking to, to be the team this year. So I think you got to play those teams as much as you can and see where you have success and see where you don't. And then that's what gets you back on the practice field to get going. And the week after Portland, we get to come home to Gotham who lost the PKs to Portland. So we're certainly going to get tested right away in the opening two weeks, mm-hmm. but 
you know, then we have 22 games to figure out what worked or what didn't work and continue to get better. And that's the biggest thing with our group, Sarah, and always has been is everybody wants to win the league. Everybody, I mean, that's everybody wants to win the league. We always just try to to get better each week, be the hardest working team in the league and make sure that we're playing our best at the end of the season when it matters the most. And um, it's been good enough to get us close. It hasn't been good enough to get us what we want, but I think we feel pretty good about the direction we're heading and where we're going this year. Awesome. Thanks so much, Coach. Good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Awesome stuff. I can't tell you guys how fun and interesting and challenging and cool and new it has been to join the ownership group of the Red Stars and to try to help um, put my money where my mouth is when it comes to women's sports. Be a part of the investment that I've always said is necessary for what's essentially a startup. you got to put in if you want to get out. And I'm hoping for a big season for the NWSL and a lot of buzz around this young league. Um, and, of course, a title for my Red Stars. I hope you guys will jump on board and, and support us. You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you got great suggestions for guests, if you got questions, whatever. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please. And give me a review. You could even put a dilemma in there for me to fix. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. 